This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's paths with an S. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Thanks for Sharing podcast. I'm Jackie P. I'm John T. So today on our uh, show, we have one of our returning guests, Mari Lee. Um, thanks, Mari, for being on the show. Oh, gosh. Really happy to be back with you both. Yeah. And this idea for this podcast started a couple months ago. Well, maybe early February during the Olympics. Um, and Mari and I were kind of having a uh, conversation uh, on Facebook, just Mari had talked about, you know, watching Sean White win all of these Olympic gold medals and how excited we all were for him. And just kind of that, you know, he had reached a plea agreement um, or a settlement, I guess it was, not a plea, but a settlement with a former band member who, um, that, that kind of put him in the category of the men in the Me Too movement. And it was something I wasn't aware of. And Mari and I just had a, pot, or a conversation about it and then started thinking about doing um, a podcast about it. And then I think you got sick and then I was out of town and <laughs> here we are, you know, a month and a half later and so much else has Ye- happened. In years the away from that in R- the right? cycle. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, where did this start? <laughs> what was our idea? Um, so here we are and we're just kind of going to do an organic kind of informal conversation about just what's happening in our country right now and what we maybe see as therapists, uh, what we see and are concerned about or, you know, how, how do it impacts clients that we see, friends that we have, family members, um, all of that kind of stuff. We're just going to kind of riff and see where this goes. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, let's just keep it organic, guys, and jump into this. And Jackie, to your point, yeah, it has been a few weeks since uh, the Winter Olympics and since all of the hoopla about Sean White. And, um, you know, of course, some could put that in that he said, she said there was a plea agreement. But um, the Me Too movement was going on. The Women's March had just wrapped up. Mm-hmm. Um, we obviously all live in a country right now that is really divided. And um, one of the points that you were making earlier, Jonathan, that I thought was really cool was looking at what's happening through a clinical lens um, and what we call a systems lens. Um, and I really appreciated the point you were making. Yeah, we were, we were talking specifically about what's happened after the shooting at Parkland High School. Um, and the, I think it was, was it just this last weekend? The march? Yeah, the yes. march. Yeah. It was Saturday, yeah. Um, the students marching on Washington, kind of with that, this can never happen again attitude, and then um, that this can never happen again message. And then the voices of support and the voices of backlash from that, that's always inter- interesting for me um, to look at and to wonder um, where are the voices in this conversation coming from? what what's influencing people to say what they're saying because i think the i think what we actually say to each other probably has very little to do with what we actually feel on the issue mm-hmm. and why we why we take the stances that we take mm-hmm. or even an awareness uh, of that is what i'm hearing right mm-hmm. jonathan um it, so what's been interesting in my own practice is 
um, just as we're talking about this particular topic with the tragedy and the massacre that happened at Parkland. And, you know, just what we've been seeing in the media, on social media, in the news, in our communities. Certainly, you know, we had a march here in Los Angeles, California, and communities around Los Angeles, as we saw all over the country and all over the world. And mm -hmm. it is, um, it's something that is tragic, but also something that is influencing conversations in my own practice and I know my colleagues practices mm -hmm. I'm sure your your practices where clients are coming in and I'm seeing an increase in anxiety mm -hmm. and when we begin to unpack that anxiety um, and perhaps we're touching on some of these social issues whether it's the Me Too movement um, and everything that had come out you know uh, last year um, Harvey Weinstein which of course just mushroomed and um, what we see you know, wherever you are, uh, not to make this too political, but if you're on the left or the right, or if you're moderate, like I am, you know, we're seeing behavior that we haven't seen before in the White House. Mm -hmm. And so I've got clients who are coming in, and believe it or not, we do have conservatives here in California as well. <laughs> and they're coming in, no matter what side of the fence they're standing on, anxious yeah. and talking about some of the things that their children, their children are talk, wanting to talk about these topics in new ways. Mm -hmm. And they're floundering. And when we begin to unpack that, especially around behaviors that we're seeing in the White House, for example, clients are plugging into deeper issues that have to do with family of origin wounding. Mm -hmm. In other words, mm -hmm. some of the things that they saw or I suppose we could talk about implicit or explicit messages. So an implicit message that I received growing up in my family of origin was children are to be seen, but not heard. Mm -hmm. And so I can't imagine ever being allowed to go out and use my voice and march with other teenagers and young people and very young people or any people for that matter and carry a sign and make my opinion known that mm -hmm. would have been um, something that would have been punishable in my particular family of origin. So what I see then is um, if a client is coming in with, let's say a similar um, wound from their own family of origin and they have a teenager that wants to go and march, mm -hmm. right? They're, they're now trying to confront the sort of unknown anxiety, the sort of unknown rule where it's informing their own attitudes on social media, sort of their knee jerk, like what's wrong with those kids in marching or are yeah. they being influenced? Mm -hmm. That kind yeah. of thing. Mm -hmm. I, uh, go ahead, Jackie. I, I was going to say, and, and this goes back to, you know, when Jonathan started this and said, was it just this last weekend? Right. Because I think for many of us, there's this feeling of, so much can happen in a day mm -hmm. um, that there is kind of this, it's hard sometimes to track the timing because where it may, generally speaking, you know, we, we might have one big thing happen in a month or one big thing happen in a, in a week. Sometimes, you know, we've had multiple things happening in a day and there's mm -hmm. this feeling of, and, and that's one of the things that I noticed for me comes up <clears throat> with my family of origin, just that tense anxiety I lived with of when is the next blow going to come? When mm -hmm. is the next shoe going to drop? Right. And, and I didn't even, 
fully recognize that until I was in graduate school, living across the country from my family, that I even became aware that my body uh, was always bracing for that. Mm. And I really kind of had to be out of my family system for me to be like, what is this about, right? Because it had been so normal and so familiar that I, I couldn't even be aware of it. And I think I see that with a lot of clients too, just kind of that continual barrage that mm -hmm. they feel that really taps into maybe what it was like for them growing up, whether they were bullied, whether they are just living in that chaotic, uh, dysfunctional family system, that there just is this continual barrage that they're feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Go ahead, Mari. Oh, um, sorry to interrupt, Jonathan. Yeah, I, I think... Um, I think what you're talking about is so important, right, Jackie? And and coming into the body, listeners, people who are listening to our conversation right now, as we're just, as you say, riffing back and forth, some of the ways that have been helping individuals in my practice is just to notice what's going on in the body. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to respond to that point that you made about just noticing, mm -hmm. like, I am feeling tense. Where are you feeling tense? I don't know. I'm just tense. Well, if we close our eyes and we take a deep breath into your body, can you locate that tenseness? Yes, it's on the back of my neck or my stomach has been hurting me. Or I've noticed I'm more irritable when I'm in, when I'm shopping at Target or when I'm driving on the freeway. I find myself um, not smiling at strangers mm -hmm. as much. Just this community of tenseness we're all feeling as a country. And we therapists who are on the front lines, I heard somebody on, I don't know, it was on, I forget a news station or something that I was listening to, maybe watching on TV, make a joke like never before have therapists offices been more filled. And there's really truth to that where people are coming in in droves to see therapists. And I'm very glad that we can provide mm -hmm. that, that healing and that support and also that um, insight into what they are witnessing, what we as a country are witnessing right in front of us or experiencing, you know, um, day to day to day to day is actually triggering some old wounds that may not have been discovered or healed. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about mm -hmm. a couple in particular that I'm working with and, um, not to go too deeply into their story to respect confidentiality. So maybe I'll just speak in a general sense, but I've noticed with couples at times, especially around the Me Too movement, if, if he per, in particular has grown up in an extremely traditional background and the roles have been traditional and there's been sexually, you know, sexual deception in the relationship. Um, now, as I had one client say, now I feel like not only am I, I feeling shamed because of my behaviors that I've hidden for a long time that I'm trying to heal um, just between my wife and I, now I feel like I'm sort of being globally shamed by women all over the world mm -hmm. for just being a man who is fallible, who has a penis, who might have, you know, who I may, you know, soothe with porn or affairs or prostitutes or whatever that is. And it's shaking me up and ways of experiencing myself as a man in this world and in ways I've, I've never thought about before or ways mm -hmm. that I've wanted to think about before. And that makes me angry, mm -hmm. right? That makes me angry. Mm -hmm. And so now I feel 
um, like I have this other layer that's confusing me to contend with. Yeah. yeah it reminds me of that concept from trauma work, uh, state dependent memory, mm-hmm. where when our body is in a certain state, especially states related to trauma, um, what we respond to in the here and now is not really what we're responding to. We're responding to the internal state. So when we push hard against each other in discourse or we push um, hard against each other in um, society, I think really a lot of what's going on is we're pushing against that internal state that we want to expel. Um, and, and again, I go back to that question for, for whatever reason that's there. I think I see a lot of dysregulated people um, in a culture that's very dysregulated right now. And, and for me, what comes up, the, the state that comes up in me is this feeling that I, um, I had a lot growing up, which was kind of that, do we have the skills to do this? Like, mm-hmm. can we get through this? Or is this going to be one of those things that is going to have to blow over? Um, or is it going to be one of those things that just radically changes the world we live in and, and we sink Mm-hmm. in this um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I've, I've heard that echoed with a lot of clients um and and i often hear it echoed in a phrase like oh i just don't i try not to worry about that that there's nothing i can do about that and really kind of moving into that learned helplessness mm-hmm. state that, kind of that like i don't know like this is happening to other people in other places mm-hmm. not in my world mm-hmm. so therefore i don't really need to step into the discomfort mm-hmm. And that's a part of privilege, you know, not, not talking about um, these, what's going on, whether or not you're a part of that world. Um, I had somebody, um, you know, recently at a get together say something like, no, 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 I don't, I hate talking about anything going on. I don't like to talk about, and it was something minor. It wasn't really anything doing with the current sitting president or anything like that. It was something I, I think having to do with the Me Too movement. But no, I don't even like to talk about that. And and I didn't know her well. And I said, you know, um, I don't mean this in, from a critical standpoint. I don't know you, but I do know that that's part of privilege. Choosing not to talk about what's going on in the world around you is coming from a place of privilege. Mm-hmm. And that might be something for, you know, it's something that I had to take a look at as a white middle-aged woman and it might be something to think about. And I think I presented it in a way that was gentle enough that she circled back toward the end of the party and she said, you know, I keep thinking about what you said, Mari, about that being part of privilege. And just the way that you presented that, I didn't feel like you were shaming or judging me, or maybe it's just because you're a therapist and I have a therapist and I appreciate, you know, <laughs> therapists in the world. But um, I, I'm going to take a look at that and wonder about that. And then she went on to talk about in, you know, growing up in my family, we just weren't allowed to have an opinion about Mm -hmm. politics. Mm -hmm. That was an adult conversation. And so I, and so I find sometimes that I'm almost regressing, Mm -hmm. you know, into this place of like, no, 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 fingers in the air, I better not talk about it or say anything, because I don't want to get in trouble. And here's a lot of that that I see. I also think, um, hmm. You know, both of you know that I'm a coach to other therapists, not just in our country, but around the world. And so, and also a supervisor, right, to therapists going through their certification process for sex addiction around the world. So not only has it been really interesting 
to do coaching sessions and supervision sessions with individuals in other states in California who are looking through different lenses, right? Some that may be more progressive, some that may be more conservative, but we're having respectful conversations as healers. Mm -hmm. During, you know, I've had several coaching sessions over the last year where the therapist is saying, well, I came in to do a coaching session around this particular part of growing my business or my practice development, but really all I wanna do is talk about the anxiety that I'm feeling in what I'm witnessing in the world and how that's spilling over into my practice and are you seeing that? And mm -hmm. so it's not unusual for me to, um, as a coach to see that, number one, and then also from um, therapists that I support in Australia, in the UK, in Canada, um, in, in um, South Africa. You know, it's been very interesting to, that's one of the first things that they want to talk about, mm -hmm. you know, in their supervision session is, how are you doing over there? We're worried about you. Mm -hmm. Because the perception is that we are dodging bullets, just going to fill our cars up with gas, you know? Mm -hmm. That's yeah, so I was interesting. doing a presentation a couple of weeks ago and, and my topic was on the Me Too movement and just kind of getting honest with ourselves and others in our conversations. I think that's what I titled it. And afterwards I had a male uh, who I, I think he mentioned he was single, but he came up afterwards to talk to me and he's kind of that, I would say maybe 30 ish. I would put his age. Maybe I'm not always good at that, but I would say 30 ish and kind of hipster. And he, and he came up and he said, you know, I really appreciated the way that you talked about this because I could actually hear what you were saying. He's like, because you're not one of those male hating feminists. <laughs> and, and I just said, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad There's that came across. That is true. <laughs> and he was just like, yeah. And it really opened me up. I could hear you. I wasn't defensive. Um, and he said, I have a lot of female friends who are feminists, but, I feel like they hate men and thereby they hate me and I just can't speak to them. And I said, well, I'm glad you were able to attend, you know, whatever. But I, I've wondered too, as we've watched just some of the backlash, I think with the Me Too movement, um, where it started to turn and it, you would start to hear people like, oh, another man being taken down by a woman, right? Mm -hmm. When I started to hear that language, I was like, uh, we got to, do what we need to to take care of ourselves, to soothe ourselves, so that we can actually stay engaged in healthy dialogue mm -hmm. around this. That's right. That's um, right. Or I, I think we've seen that even with the many mass shootings that we've had over the decade, over the last five years, over this year. Um, I, I get that people are tired. I get that you know people are just depleted mm -hmm. um, in in what's happening day after day, week after week. And yet I do wonder sometimes what's getting activated in them because we do have this history in our country of being strong. And a lot of that, you know, being the, the power leader, whatever, the power country of the world, a lot of that messaging has come to, you just suck it up and, and do mm -hmm. what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Um and I saw this particularly, I remember noticing it after the Boston Marathon bombing a couple years ago, and how quick we were to move into Boston Strong. 
And I remember thinking to myself, can we be Boston? What the hell just happened for a minute? Mm -hmm. Right. Can we be Boston? I don't want to leave my house for a minute. Do we have to so quickly move into Boston strong? Right. And, and the same thing happened after the Vegas shooting. Mm. Um, and, and I wondered how many of this younger generation, which sometimes I have to correct people like this generation that is speaking up like after the Parkland shooting is not, they're not millennials, right? Millennials are now all over 20. That's so, true. so this is the I generation or Z generation, or it's still kind of being, we, we're not sure what's going to stick, but that's this generation, right? And I wonder how many people, it's just sparking this response in them that says, I didn't get a voice. Mm-hmm. How dare you think you get to have a voice? Yeah. Now that, so, so that's sparking just a couple places that I want to put a pin in when you were talking about the Boston Strong mm-hmm. language. Um, there have been a lot of terrorist attacks in France lately. And the, the meme that I'll see on Facebook is the stand with whatever city it is. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting when it's, I wonder if there's a difference in how we see it when it's something in our own backyard, like Boston. No, we're strong. But when it happens to somebody else, we will stand with you. You need it. Mm -hmm. And kind of this denying our own vulnerability and denying that uh, we live in a world that's just as unpredictable as any other place on the globe. Right. Um, And it also made me think of, I don't know how long this has been the, uh, the social rule that you don't, you don't bring up politics or sex in um, polite company or religion or religion. Um, I, a couple observations there. I I think most of the big societal issues from my viewpoint have to do with politics, sex and religion. Mm -hmm. Like it's in our face. And I wonder how often we label something as that's political. Now that's sexual. Now that's about religion. Just to say, now we don't have that's about race. Yeah. 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 Now, once we label it that way, we just don't have to deal with it anymore because that's not, you know, for generations, that's been the mantra. That's been the rule, right? That's been the mismanners. We don't talk about these things. And yet, I I mean, I think, you know, one of the things for good or bad, right? Millennials have been, have taken a lot of criticism and some of the very things they've been criticized for, I think on the flip side of that are actually very good traits, right? Mm -hmm. That millennials, kind of shifted things in a way that they don't just uh, get their marching orders and start marching. Millennials, you know, we knew that they were much more likely to say, why? Well, help me understand this, right? Like they, which good or bad, right? I think in, in some ways though we saw, or we are seeing it, while it might ruffle some feathers, we're also seeing some good things come from that. Absolutely. And I don't think it has to be good or bad, right? Right. I think it can just be, it's different. It's a different Mm -hmm. mindset. And I think it's really interesting to see how millennials have been sort of thrown under the bus, how they also throw themselves under the bus. Mm -hmm. I was having dinner with my bestie last night and we were sitting next to two, like, you know, at a bistro outside on the patio, but the tables were really, really close to each other. Mm -hmm. So I was like elbow to elbow with, you know, two millennial, probably best friend, best friend girls, at least they seemed that way, um, college age, maybe 24. And they were um, talking about um, some of that 
uh, you know, what they, what they come up against. And it was a really interesting conversation that they sort of invited us into. And I'm in my 50s. My best friend is in her 50s. And we had a great conversation with these two girls. And, um, and it was interesting because it was really cold last night in, in Southern California. And maybe in the, well, cold for us in the 50s, maybe. <laughs> you know, for the rest of the We got day. snow, but okay. Yeah, yeah, but okay. Yeah. But we're all bundled up in sweaters, right? So, um, and the um, server came over to turn on the heat lamp and, you know, the girls are shivering. We're in our fifties. So we're two women that aren't that cold. We're just happy for the cool air. And um, the, it was interesting because the two girls that were the millennials said, yeah, turn it up all the way because we're really cold. And on the other side of them, there was an older couple and said, well, we, you know, kind of like their faces said, how dare you decide how much heat we're going to have? And the server looked at my girlfriend and I and said, well, how are you guys doing? And I said, well, we're actually kind of warm. So how about we set it somewhere in between? And then we just sort of negotiated around the heat. But it was just interesting to see, you know, here we are in our 50s. The other couple looked like they were close to 70. Then you had these women in their 20s and the different generations trying to negotiate that. So I don't think it's a bad or a good thing. I think mm -hmm. it's just different. And I think that as we grow up in our different you know, our different decades, there are going to be way lenses that we look at in the world. And one of the things that I wanted to circle back to that you were talking about, Jonathan, um, that I thought was an important topic is, you know, these conversations that we're not supposed to be engaging in, they're, they're not for polite society, right? Mm -hmm. Race, religion, um, you know, politics and so forth, sex, you know, oh my gosh, right? I'm sure you guys have the same experience when you talk about the work that we do. Right. But, um, you know, I also, it's interesting, again, doing the coaching work that I do and the supervision work that I do is a question that I've been getting a lot from therapists or sort of this debate that I'll see sometimes within the therapeutic community is we can't really talk about those things in session, mm -hmm. obviously not sex. That's, that's the work that, you know, the three of us specialize in, but more like you really shouldn't be, you know, talking with clients who are concerned about what's going on with me too, or about religion or about politics or whatever it is. And I think why not? Mm -hmm. why wouldn't we talk about those things? Why wouldn't we make room for those things? Obviously we can't, you know, I'm not going to go into a client session and talk the way that we're talking today. That's not what their session is about, but why wouldn't I show up fully invested in whatever topic they want to bring up mm -hmm. and then take a look at how to build insight around that, how that could be, you know, the topic that they're talking about that's bringing anxiety or bringing concern or, impacting relationships that they're having, why wouldn't we dive into that? Right. I think we have to dive into those topics. We have to help that client explore that and take a look at that. I'm not there. I mean, I'm perfectly fine to say that I'm much more to the left, that I'm not about this president. I think anybody that knows me knows that well about me, and I stand in that, and I'm okay with that. But I have clients who are very much to the right and very much about you know supporting um, Trump as the president, and they talk about those things, mm -hmm. and they'll ask me, you know, where do you stand on that? And I'll say, well, I think you and I stand in different places politically, but as human beings, 
there's just so much that human beings, myself included, are experiencing that are familiar, whether that's anxiety or feeling passionate about something. And though you and I may look through different political lenses, you know, I want to show it for you in ways that respect you and make space for you to talk about whatever you need to talk about and hear. Mm-hmm. And then you, you know, the three of us know we have lots of tools to manage countertransference. So while I may not agree with a client's point of view, um, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm there to make space for that human being. And as I make space for that human being, I make more space for my own humanity. I learn all the time from my clients. So I wish that we could see more insight developing. Maybe this is a pie in the sky wish, right, guys? Mm -hmm. That we could actually see more human beings in our country deepen their insight into why they're having such big reactions Mm -hmm. toward um, that other, that other Republican or that other Democrat. Um, I've been reading a book about tribe, tribes and politics by a Harvard um, professor right now that I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the name of the book, but I'll, I'll email it to you guys and you might want to mm-hmm. include it. It's excellent. Yeah. And she really talks about how people um, it's really wired into human beings to be part of tribes, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm the millennial generation or we are the baby boomers and you millennials don't get it, or we're Republicans and you, Repu- you Democrats don't get it. Mm-hmm. And all these names and all these, you know, ways that people will become very tribal, not only globally or within the country or politically, but within families. Mm-hmm. Like our religion is better than your religion. Mm-hmm. Our our race is better or worse than your race. Just all of that we're seeing. And so it really comes down to, you know, this tribalism and how we're wired in. It's so interesting. Yeah, I, I recently listened to Sapiens, um, and I can't remember the author's name now, but... Um, he he was talking about how biologically we are wired to notice the differences mm-hmm. and to group with what's similar to us and to reject what's not. Um, but he said cognitively we're wired to develop these large unifying narratives um, that bring millions of diverse people together. Um, and so when I look at these, when I look at these divides and I look at the separateness um, I've started asking myself, what's the myth that this person, because that's what the author called them. I'm not saying that people who don't believe like I believe, believe in myths. He said, we all believe <laughs> right. in myths. Like right, everything right. that goes on between our, our two ears is, is made up. <laughs> um, but I, I've been asking myself, what are the myths that this person believes in that are different than the myths that I believe in that organize their action this way? Mm-hmm. Um, and is there a myth that can unify enough people to heal some of the wounds that we have as a society, um, or at least not to deepen those wounds any further. Um, and that's something that I, yeah, I was, I was uh, traveling this weekend and um, my Uber driver and I were talking um, about the March on Washington. And he was saying, um, I'm glad that there's kids in this country that exist that can do that because the kids I know, um, they they don't do that like they're the ones that are probably likely to shoot people rather than um you know take a stand for for safe space and safe schools um and uh i he was saying how exciting it was to him to see the possibility that there might be a 
large sea change there. There might be a change in the conversation. And I share that excitement too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm very, very interested to see what kind of storylines, new storylines come out of this, um, how this changes the storylines that we've been holding on to for a long time. Right. And I think there is such an excitement around that. I love that. That's really courageous that the Uber driver would share that, first of all. And I love these micro conversations that mm-hmm. I hear about, right, that are taking place not only in our therapy rooms, but, you know, just as we're sitting next to people, you know, in like at the restaurant last night or like what you're describing, Jonathan. And I think, you know, if we can bring in healing, if we can make space for one another, and really, instead of having this knee-jerk reaction, like, oh, you're different, you're not part mm-hmm. of my people, you're not part of my tribe, you know, and, and reach out of one's comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I, as you both know, I recently wrote, or maybe, I know, I think you know Jackie, I don't know if you know Jonathan, I wrote a blog recently about somebody who's... Um, I saw that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a big um, kind of big, uh, popular... Uh, famous uh, therapist um, within our clinical community and he's very very well known for trauma work and there was um, you know some some stuff that had come out from staff members about his quote-unquote bullying um, behavior toward them and so I wrote a blog really trying and so this therapist then ended up writing this sort of public letter of apology that really in my opinion, in many people's opinion, was not a letter of apology. Mm-hmm. And no matter how you read that letter, um, it, it really, that was not, um, that didn't matter to me as much as can we look at, one, how we deify these leaders, how we mm-hmm. put them on thrones, mm-hmm. especially men of a certain age and, and, mm-hmm. and white males. You know, sometimes we will deify them, we'll put them on these godlike thrones and have these incredible expectations of these people. And certainly within the clinical community, what I've noticed over the years is then if they fall from their godlike position, if they then show any fallibility, if they make mistakes, if they're struggling with some part of their personality that they're working on, where do they go to Mm -hmm. for support? Because they can't come to the clinical community because Mm -hmm. everybody has them on this pedestal, on this throne. Mm -hmm. So there's a shaming aspect for them to then just be human. Mm -hmm. You know, I wrote all these books. I, you know, did all of this research. I've contributed this huge amount of information. I'm really beloved, but now I'm struggling in this way. Mm -hmm. And I have no place to turn in my clinical community without feeling deeply shamed and criticized. Mm -hmm. And so instead of being able to drop into that, and actually offering an apology, that's really what I wanted to do, was deconstruct what an apology was, really look at the anatomy of an apology. Mm-hmm. And we make it almost impossible for these mm-hmm. leaders in high positions to genuinely apologize. Why? I mean, if we think of, the, of our leader right now in the POTUS, if he were to be able to drop into humility and humbleness and say, I've made some really big mistakes, these are the mistakes that I've made. And I am learning at my age that that is a part of this type of trauma that I dealt with, or I'm, I'm developing insight into myself, and I'm challenging ways of thinking that I grew up with, that I was socially conditioned to believe, that don't work anymore. For the very yeah. first time, I don't have just 
10 people that I can fire. I have millions of people now saying and pushing back against my opinions that I'm putting out there. Mm -hmm. And I've never had that happen. And it's Mm -hmm. giving me pause to think. Can you, you know, I could imagine that would be a very vulnerable space. I would deeply respect that. And I know Mm -hmm. millions of us would, but I can imagine that would be a very vulnerable space to step into because he would probably largely by his base, but also certainly by many, many um, more liberal people, he'd be ripped to shreds. Mm -hmm. I still hope, I mean, I know there's, you know, it's a whisper in the wind that he would ever hear our conversation, but I still hold that hope that somehow, you know, who knows, there could be an inkling of awareness. Just, just for the record, we think he listens. We also think (laughs) Brene Brown listens. We talked about that last time we recorded. We talk as if, you know, (laughs) Well, and I think it's one of those that um, even if if POTUS doesn't hear this or (coughs) have the awareness that we would like uh, people in that position of power to have, right? I think it's something like we were talking about the micro conversations that can happen, Mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, Mary with you and the people who were in close proximity at the restaurant last night, whether it's Jonathan and the Uber driver, right? I, I think I, I find that these conversations are happening more at that level than they are at the large televised or national conversation levels, right? And, and that gives me some mm. hope. I, I hope that that means that something is going to ch- shift and to change because I think it, it goes back to this patriarchal structure that we are established on. Um, that, that creates these power structures that are not serving us well. Uh, we could argue have not been serving us well for hundreds of years. Um, but these power structures have existed nonetheless. And I think, you know, before we start saying, oh, it's Republicans or, oh, it's Democrats or it's men or it's women or right. we have to look at, can we, can we step into the space that talks about how might the power structure or how might the structure in which we uh, define things and establish things, what if that were to change, mm-hmm. right? What if it were to become who knows what kind of structure, but can we even start talking about that? And then maybe it doesn't need to get into this me versus you or us versus them. No, I, I think dialogue. that's, I think that's really, in my opinion, that's what a lot of what we're feeling is about as a culture, as a human race, we go forward, never backward. Mm-hmm. Like we can't undo the industrial revolution. We can't undo the agricultural revolution. We can't undo the sexual revolution. Like the technological revolution. Yeah, yeah. That stuff happens and there's no going back to a better day, but you know, we really love nostalgia. And I think some of that anxiety is about things were better when, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, I, I, I just think on a micro level, the individual on a macro level, the, the whole community, the whole world, that's something that we tend to have a hard time grappling with mm-hmm. is that change is a constant. And it that, changes a constant. And also I think within our smaller systems, for example, when I posted the blog that I wrote about deifying leaders and, um, looking at the anatomy of an apology and sort of taking that out on a more social level, right. That was knocked off of, uh, we, it wasn't, it wasn't allowed for within a particular mm-hmm. 
system, right? Mm -hmm. A listserv system that was absolutely not okay. It was deleted and it was publicly said, you cannot talk about this mm -hmm. within the system. And, you know, I, I understand that that is a particular organization and, and those are the rules and those are the boundaries, but why not? Right. There's a lot of people hungry about that. Why can't we, right. especially we as healers, have conversations where we might not agree with, with each other? Why can't we have those conversations? Why is that a bad thing? Mm -hmm. Which again may say, here's the rules because, right, sorry to interrupt you, but keeping those rules that we did, we don't talk about religion, we don't talk about politics, we don't talk about race, we don't talk about, right, that list goes on and maybe everybody was very well behaved, right, Miss Manners was very proud for decades. Mm -hmm. But what didn't happen is knowing how to engage in constructive dialogue right. with people that you disagree with, mm -hmm. who, with people who stand in a different space than you. How do I dialogue with that, right? And, and how do I regulate myself? Exactly. And what in we're finding dialogue. is we have no skill sets for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do I regulate myself if I'm talking with someone who really sees things, sees the world differently than me? Mm -hmm. Well, we, for me, I get curious about that. I get excited about that. I wonder about that. I get curious about somebody, even if it's somebody that is so far out of my realm of the way that I think, where I'm just sort of knocking my head against the wall thinking, are you kidding me? I still can somehow make room to hear that person's voice. And if I can't make room because they really are so far out of what I consider to be healthy. Maybe that's racism or, you know, um, sexism or whatever that is. I can try and notice their pain, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And somehow speak into that pain or send some sort of energy for that pain or even ask them, where did you learn to tolerate that level of pain? Yeah. Or where did you learn about that way of thinking? That feels very different from the way that I see the world or that I see human beings. Where did you learn about that? But we're so quick to jump in and say, you are bad, you are wrong, mm -hmm. what you think is wrong, what you're saying is bad, your opinion sucks. It turns into this big, what I call mm -hmm. fluster cluck mm -hmm. of yes. everybody squawking and nobody is really getting curious and doing some wondering and making room. There's a wonderful interview with Oprah Winfrey and um, not the Dalai Lama. Um, oh, shoot. I'm sorry, guys. I forget his name, but he's a monk. It's wonderful. You can find it on YouTube. And it talks about the benefit of deep, intentional listening mm. and how we have to first move in with deep compassionate, intentional listening. It doesn't mean that we need to agree or disagree, but when we can make room for deep, compassionate, intentional listening, instead of immediately being offended by one another, mm -hmm. we can look at what is informing, what's informing um, these children to get on these platforms, on the stages, these wonderful voices that we're hearing from young people and passionately talk about the lens that they're looking for, the experience they have, why does that, why does that have to turn into a us versus them? Yeah. Why can't that be inclusive? Why can't we learn from these young people? This is so important to think about. Yes, we, you know, we, we want to make these changes on a, a macro level, you know, societal, global level, but it really begins with small conversations like the one that 
that the three of us are having, Mm -hmm. or, you know, just making room, taking a risk and hearing somebody who thinks very differently from you and then noticing, Mm -hmm. right? That noticing, that intentional noticing of what's coming up in my body. Is my heart pounding? Is my fist clenching? Do I feel what? What am I feeling Mm -hmm. before I'm just, you know, spouting off my opinion about something? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, you know, just as I've watched uh, the news outlets and these Parkland students step up and start speaking, I I just, I mean, I remember being that age, and it's been a while. I'm coming up on my 30-year high school reunion this summer, so it's been 30 years. And one of the things that I remember, um, one of the classes that I took as a senior, it was called Current Issues, and... uh, you know, one of the current issues when I was a senior in high school were the Iran-Contra affairs that Mm -hmm. were happening and those were being televised and played out and we were discussing that. But we were also talking about things like the Vietnam War and the Civil Rights Movement because that was closer to my generation than it would be generations today. And I remember, you know, my my teacher, everybody loved him and you kind of looked forward to taking his class. At least I did. That was my perception. You looked forward to taking his class from the time you were a sophomore and he didn't disappoint, but uh, he had, I remember, I don't know if he had it every year because I'd never been in his classroom, but he had this uh, quote up on the chalkboard and he never, that I know, he never um, pointed it out or referenced it throughout the entire school year. But it was there the whole school year, right? And it was a David Bowie quote. And it said, um, and these children that you spit on as they try to change their world um, are immune to your consultations. They're quite aware of what they're going through. And I just remember being so impacted by that. I mean, obviously here it is 30 years later and I can quote it, right? Because I read it every day. And, and just remembering being that age as I'm about to graduate high school and step out into this world that would just get bigger because I was done with high school, right? The world gets bigger at that point. Hopefully, I think it does. It does, yeah. And, and just remembering, like, things that broke me open at that age, right? I remember, I, well, I think it was like my sophomore or junior year, I read To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. And that book broke Mm. me open, right? There was just something about it that broke me open. Uh, Same with East of Eden. East of Eden broke me open in certain ways. Um, And just brought things into my awareness. And I think sometimes it can get easy then for us to get on with whatever that phase of life is, right? We've got to go to college and get a degree, or we've got to climb the ladder in our career, or we've got to make money to pay the bills. And we forget about what broke us open then, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. and somehow we're talking about these teenagers as though they are the ones eating the Tide Pods, right? Which apparently is a thing. Um, I don't know any teens who have eaten the Tide Pods. Um, I know, but we do such dumb things too as teenagers. True, right? right? We are pretty impulsive. Um, as teenagers, and, and we have... I drank acid when I was 16 <laughs> at a right? party. Somebody well, came up and said, hey, put this under your tongue, and I said, okay. No, no, no questions asked. <laughs> Come on. Right? And having teenagers, like, I am uh, thinking, like, like I said to them one night at dinner, like, have you guys heard about this Tide Pod thing? Like, because I don't want to be like, hey, don't do this, because they'd be like, mom. <laughs> right? But I'm like, 
given the right, right circumstances, they might, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we as therapists know that that wonderful thing called, right, the prefrontal cortex that doesn't come on line <laughs> right. fully until our early 20s. So that's good. That's so good yeah, I was know. glad that they all rolled their eyes and were like, who would do that? And I was like, oh, okay, good. Okay, like, <laughs> at yeah. least tonight at the dinner table, they wouldn't do that. Right. Um, right. And yet there, there is this opening and expansion that happens and and do we want to shut that down because what they're young because mm-hmm. they haven't put in the years that we have they haven't struggled the way that we have or they haven't failed the way like i just i'm like what is that rite of passage that we right. think they haven't paid so they can't speak so they can't speak and i think also to your point jackie and if a teenager not that we want any teenagers eating you know these you know detergent pods right we don't we don't need that going on right but even if one did and they survived and please don't do that teenagers you know and don't drop acid like i did but somehow you know these teenagers that you know make make dumb mistakes like we all did sometimes end up being therapists on you know talking about teenagers you know decades later on podcast (laughs) right right Go on to do some amazing things in there. Go life. on to do some amazing things. And that quote, Jackie, by Bowie is on my Facebook banner. Mm, I love that. I love that quote. Yes. So yeah. applicable to what's going on. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I remember being that teenager who didn't want to be spit on, right? Who didn't want to be dismissed because mm-hmm. I was awakening to things mm-hmm. in a way that I hadn't previously. And, mm-hmm. and hopefully... And this has been one of my goals is that awakening didn't stop, mm-hmm. right? That I continually try to evolve. I continually try to be open to things that may be not familiar or uh, common in my own wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to be open to that. Sometimes it can be really difficult, especially lately. Um, yeah. But I think that that is a right helpful way to stay in dialogue with people. Can I get interested? Can I get curious about how you see things that to you is so clear and to me is nonsense, but Mm -hmm. let me, let me figure that out. Yeah. And I I do think that's something that uh, not to sound too Pollyanna, but I think that is something that we all have to give each other is that opportunity to um, foster and protect somebody else's process mm-hmm. and to encourage each other in that rather than sit back and judge, well, your process isn't unfolding the way that it should. Um, I have a quote in my office by Joseph Campbell that says something about um, if you know what the path ahead of you is, you know, that's not your path mm-hmm. because your path is unfolding with every step you take mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, you know, that I, I think that there's diversity in our world uh, let me let me go at that from another angle. Um, the diversity in our world lends um, lends itself to a lot of different opportunities and a lot of different perspectives. Um, and and we know ecologically, we know biologically, we know culturally that we're more strong mm-hmm. when we're diverse. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think it also diversity leads to connection, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's hard to really have that connection when when everybody thinks exactly as we do or, mm-hmm. or is just a replica of us, but because that's, that's the, really narcissistic. Connection. That's the great myth though, right? That, right. That's what makes connection so easy. Right. That, that's what brings us into a tribe instead of recognizing that there always needs to be some type of friction or diversity in order for 
connection to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, and I would, I would even take that a step further. It's how we, how we embrace diversity, how we make mm-hmm. room for that. Mm-hmm. But it's not just, you know, words, but it's in the way that we lead our life. It's in the people that we include in our life. It's in the way that we listen to people that are in our life who mm-hmm. are different than us, mm-hmm. who look different from us, whose sexuality or orientation is different than ours, whose gender is different, you know, like re- whose religion is different, that we can not just say, okay, well, I'm a person who, who accepts diversity. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. But really, how, how do we do that then? We, you know, really making room to listen, to educate oneself. You know, a word that's come up in the last year is being woke. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? You know, I don't want to assume what that means for someone else. Yeah. And I don't want, you know, or expect that my girlfriends who are um, different than me or my guy friends who have a different ethnicity, that it's their responsibility to educate me on what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And I feel as a woman, though I'm very happy as a feminist woman and a woman who, who loves men, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Um, and that I'm more than happy. I'd be more than happy to sit down, um, you know, across the table from Donald Trump and to try and listen and hear and understand the lens that he looks through. But also I would hope that I could have an opportunity to extend education from my point of view to him. So I'm not a person who minds educating from my point of view, if somebody would mm-hmm. be interested and curious about that. Mm-hmm. If I have, you know, a, a, a male in my life who is, you know, is very much to the right, very conservative, um, you know, and so forth and so on, just sort of painting that stereotypical, you know, doesn't like, you know, feminism, you know, the whole thing. I'm, I'm very happy to, to talk about my point of view if that person is open to listening to that. Yeah. So I don't have a problem educating other people. I just have to manage my own expectation that others are there to educate me. It's up to yeah. me to do that. And right. it's up to me to really um, dig in there and confront my own biases because we all hold them. No matter right. how evolved, no matter how woke we think we are, we all hold these implicit biases that have been informed. Mm-hmm. As you say, Jonathan, the myth that exists between our two ears and what informs that. And when we can unpack that and we can take a look at that and retrace that thread and those breadcrumb trails back to those early family of origin messages back to mm-hmm. what it was like when we were growing up or what society says to us or how, how we're created formed in, and informed, our opinions are informed by our tribes. To think that we're not tribal people is naive yeah. mm-hmm. at best. And so when we can say, you know, this is the tribe that I lived in and these were the rules, quote unquote, the implicit and explicit rules that you had to live by. I know growing up in, my, in, in the 70s, one of my, the tribal, unspoken tribal rules were, if you're going to be a girl in high school that is liked by boys, you don't ever, you're not smarter than the boys, you're not more athletic mm-hmm. than the boys, you're not, you don't interrupt the boys, you don't challenge the boys on that thinking, you know, you just don't do that. And that was the implicit and explicit rule that I grew up in, in Los Angeles, California, mm-hmm. which in the 70s, I went to a public high school, very diverse, and we still didn't do that. We still didn't want to do that because the unspoken message was you will be thrown out of the tribe. You will be a girl that other 
boys don't want to be around and then the girls won't like you either. So you have to just sort of shut up and put up with it. Mm-hmm. And thank God that's changing now. Mm-hmm. But we have to be able to, what's going on around us, be able to look at that information. And if it is shaking it, uh, us up, right, and the friction is making us uneasy, then dive into that. See yeah. where those breadcrumb trails lead back into your own life. Mm-hmm. Take a look at um, those pockets of pain or trauma that you may not even, even considered before. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great cap for our conversation today, at least for the purposes of the podcast, um, yeah. that invitation to dive in. Thank you for talking with us, Mari. Oh my gosh. Thank you both so much. I mean, we could go on and on, but yes. I'm hoping that this conversation, though I know it was very organic and we went down the rabbit hole today in a lot of different directions, hopefully your listeners can pick up on you know, a thread that really is impactful to them. That was my purpose in coming into this conversation today was to make room to let people know that we're, the three of us are really trying to listen and to look inside and, and we're imperfect people doing our best as therapists and um, and give that invitation to others as well. So thank you both so much for the good work that you're doing. And I've enjoyed very much being back on your show. Yeah, thank Thanks. you. Remember at the end of this episode that your story matters. Remember there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. And remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.